0: Jesus Jesus, the Saviour, the Son of God. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, you need to open your Bibles. Uh, go to Luke chapter 7. Can we have the verses on the screen please? Thank you. So Luke chapter 7 verses 36 to 50 it says this. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. and the other 50. When they couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she hasn't ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What we've got going on here, we've got uh, a story, it's a true story, it's something uh, that actually happened a couple of thousand years ago. Uh, And in this account we've got three characters. So uh, before we get into the the meat of what's going on here, I want to introduce you to these three people we've got and just have a think about who they are. Um, Character number one. Jesus. He's kind of a big deal in this story. Um, And and by this point in Luke 7, a few things have happened already. Jesus is starting to become uh, fairly known in the area. He's getting a bit of a reputation. Um, So I want to just kind of go over what's happened so far in his ministry uh, and kind of what the people at the time would have seen in this guy Jesus by this point. It started uh, with John the Baptist and now John the Baptist was a big deal because for hundreds of years you've got God speaking to his people through these guys called the prophets and the prophets were do who rocks up and was like right guys God said some things to me let's have a chat about it and they gave the voice of God to the nation and there were loads of them uh, and they brought God's word to bear on whatever was going on. But then for 400 years, heaven went silent. There weren't any prophets for a long, long time. Then all of a sudden, bam, John the Baptist shows up. He's like, the prophets are back. I've got a message from God. Everyone's like, whoa, message from God. This is amazing. So, So they flocked to John the Baptist to find out what the message is. And the message basically goes something like this. Guys, it's not about me. There's a guy coming right after me who's amazing. Follow him, repent of your sins, get ready. He's coming by the way, it's this guy here, he's Jesus. So, so now people are like, okay, Jesus, what's he going to do? And there's kind of all attention on Jesus. Uh, and Jesus says, right, here, here's how it's going to go down. I'm going to get baptised, and I want you to do it, John. Uh, and John's like, I can't do that. I can't baptise you. You're Jesus. And I'm, I'm just. And Jesus is like, look, it's got to happen this way. I want you to baptise me. So John says, okay. And he baptises Jesus. And as Jesus gets baptised, he comes up out of the water and a dove descends and lands on him, symbolic of being anointed by the Holy Spirit. And then you hear the voice of God the Father from heaven, Saying, this guy's my son and I love him. He's amazing, follow him. So not only have you got the first prophet for 400 years saying it's all about him, you've got the voice of God the Father from heaven saying, yeah, it's all about him. He is my son. There's quite a stir, isn't there? This is what people are seeing. Uh, And so Jesus, like, all eyes on him, a lot of pressure on him, really, to live up to all this kind of bill. Um, He starts by preaching. He goes to his home synagogue Uh, he gets out his bible one of the scrolls turns in Isaiah and this is the passage uh, that he picks to read out says "Uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, that's the bit of the Bible he picks to read, then his sermon, it isn't like a typical sermon that you get, it's quite short, it just goes guys, you know that passage, that's about me and it's happening now, uh, that, that's all he's got, but it's, it's amazing, so they're like, whoa, this is kind of cool, and, and then he goes around doing just that, just what he said he was going to do, so he casts out demons from people, he heals loads of people who are sick. He preaches good news. He calls a team of guys to follow him and says, Right, these are, are the apostles. Uh, he cleansed the leper. So this guy with leprosy comes up to him and says, If you will, you can make me clean. And he says, I'm willing, go on then, be clean. And he heals this guy with leprosy. Uh, Another time he's preaching, uh, and there's this guy who's kind of paralyzed, and he wants to get through, and his friends are trying to barge through the crowd, but just can't get, so they kind of make a hole in the roof, and descend uh, him through this hole in the roof, and Jesus forgives his sins, uh, and then he says, okay, uh, just to show you that that's not empty words, get up, mate, and he gets up and walks off. Uh, He he picks a few fights with the religious leaders, and they get a bit wound up by him. Uh, He parties with tax collectors, Basically, he's causing a bit of a stir. There's a lot of, no one there wouldn't know who this guy was. He was kind of um, banner headline uh, of all the kind of magazines and newspapers. Uh, And if you went to like BBC News, probably the top story would be about Jesus in those days, if BBC News had existed. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's Jesus uh, as he shows up uh, to to this dinner party uh, the Pharisees has. Probably the reason why he was invited is because so much attention was on him. You've got this guy, Simon, the Pharisee. who's just like, I keep hearing this stuff about this guy. I I just want to find out. I want to meet him and see what he's actually all about. Now, uh, we're in kind of a different position to those guys 2,000 years ago because we have the whole story. Uh, We we know where it's going, we know who this guy is who was causing uh, such attention. So let's kind of just cheat a little bit and and put the knowledge that we've got in there as well. This guy who turns up for dinner isn't just kind of a leader of kind of a religious movement. He is God himself in human flesh. So when the father said, this is my son, with whom I'm well pleased. What he's talking about is God's always existed as three persons, Father, Son and Spirit. Forever and ever and ever Jesus has existed as God, then he takes on human form. This man who was walking the earth is what human life looks like when it is lived by God. That's who he was. He is God in the flesh, God incarnate and he came here on a rescue mission. He came because we're sinners, and he wanted to save us from our sin, which he did by dying on a cross. He was going to rise from dead, victorious over death, and the start of a new creation. And he was going to ascend to the heavens to rule over everything. And he's going to come back, and all of the universe is going to be under his feet, glorifying him. This is the guy who Simon the Pharisee has just invited round for dinner, just so we know. Keep that in mind. That's character number one in this story. That's Jesus. Character number two in our story is Simon the Pharisee. Now, when I say Simon the Pharisee, those of you who've been around churches before might want to do something a bit kind of pantomime-like. I say, he's a Pharisee. You all want to go, boo. We don't like the Pharisees. They're the baddies. They're the villains. We've got something instinctive whenever we hear the word Pharisee. There we go. But the reason uh, why we want to do that I think is because we have a slightly different perspective on these guys uh, to how their contemporaries viewed them. The contemporaries didn't want to go, it's a Pharisee. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to go, it's a Pharisee. Yeah. yeah. You see, they admired these guys. They thought the, the, the Pharisees were brilliant because um, I, I think we just have such a kind of instinctive thing to boo them. We haven't always taken enough time to understand where the Pharisees uh, were coming from. So I just want to give you a little bit of of their mindset so we can see why they acted the way they did. And and they lived in the nation of Israel and Israel was a very, very privileged nation because it was a nation where God dwelt amongst them. So he brought them out of slavery in Egypt and he'd given them instructions and if you read the second half of Exodus it's all about the dimensions of kind of a tent that God wanted to be built and, and all the bits that were going to go in it and the reason why it's so um, elaborate and so um, specific is this was the tent that God himself was going to dwell in amongst the people and then a few hundred years later once they've settled in a land um, David says hang on this doesn't work God's living in a tent we've all got palaces and houses and stuff can we have uh, a temple for God and God's like yeah that's a good idea but you're not going to build it your son's going to build it and so they end up building him uh, a temple uh, where God dwells among the people and the high priest once a year once he made appropriate sacrifices for sin um, and lit some incense as he could actually go physically into the presence of God and, and that's amazing no other nation on earth had that privilege where they could go into the very presence of God. Um, But over time this nation kind of turned against God, sinned, rebelled and so they got kicked out of the land and sent into exile and when that happened the army that overran the land they trashed the temple. Uh, So the dwelling place of God was was kind of just destroyed and when they returned to the land uh, they built a new temple. So if you read the book of Ezra that's kind of about this building of a new temple and when they completed it you would got everyone going yes this is amazing we've got a new temple except a few old guys at the back. And the old guys were kind of crying. Uh, And the reason the old guys weren't as happy as everybody else is the old guys had been around at the time of the first temple, and they'd seen not just this kind of ornate building, but they'd known that the glory of God was in this room at the center of the temple, the Holy of Holies. And they knew in the new temple, yeah, it was an ornate building, but who cares about an ornate building? It was hollow. The glory of God hadn't descended back on this temple. So so there's a problem. God wasn't dwelling in this nation anymore. So you've got the Pharisees and they're looking at this and they said hang on, there's a problem. We want the presence of God here. We want the presence of God in this nation. And it's not here. There's a problem. And the cause of the problem, it must be sin. When we read our Bible we see that what um, cuts people off from the presence of God is sin. So the Pharisees were okay, so sin is the problem, and that's why God isn't here anymore. We've got a solution. Let's stop sinning. Let's be holy. Let's do it God's way. And if as a nation we all turn back to God and start obeying him, maybe his presence will come back to the temple. That's what these guys wanted. Uh, And so they read their Bible and they found out every single thing that sounded like a rule or sounded like God giving guidance, how he wanted them to live. And they read, don't murder. So they're like, okay, well let's not do that then. Uh, Don't commit adultery, fine, let's not do that either. Keep the Sabbath. Fine, let's keep the Sabbath. And they tried to keep all of these rules. And then like, we often hear about how the Pharisees made up loads of extra rules that weren't in the Bible. That wasn't just because they were really mean and wanted to kind of make life hard for people. What was going on is they were thinking, well, if it says in the Bible, keep the Sabbath, And then if I say, right, okay, well, I can't even make a meal on the Sabbath, then I'm going to be miles away from breaking God's actual rule. So they were just so uh, passionate about keeping these rules in the Bible that the extra ones were just to um, help them keep away from doing what God had said um, to not do. I'm gonna get you guys to help out a little bit if you're okay with this. Uh, from what you know, in the Bible about the Pharisees, can you shout out some of the things that they did really well, that they were good at? Tithing. Tithing, cool. Anything else? They knew the scriptures. They knew the scriptures really well, cool. Devoted to, prayer. devoted to prayer, brilliant. Purity, Purity. awesome. They believed in the resurrection. Fantastic. You see, when you hear all that, you're like, this is all really good stuff. These guys were good guys. They were were Bible guys. They were hungry for the presence of God guys. Uh, These were the sort of people that you'd expect when Jesus came to the earth. He'd want to get alongside and hang out. They were the exemplars of true religion. Now, we know that the Pharisees didn't get it right entirely because we read uh, the Gospel accounts and we see stories like the one today um, and a few others uh, where there's kind of um, flaws in their system are exposed. But essentially, these guys were the role models of the day. And it's important we understand that to see quite exactly what's going on um, in this bit of the Bible. And when we're talking about these guys, I wonder, maybe some of you are kind of reminded uh, of yourself a little bit, your, your moral... Uh, Or maybe you're uh, religious in kind of the the good sense of the word, not the bad sense of it. Uh, Maybe you know your Bible well, maybe you're often uh, found in church. Uh, To the best of your ability, you'll try and do what is right. Uh, You don't want uh, to sin, you want the presence of God. Um, Others will come to you for uh, advice on how to live well. Uh, Maybe some of you are like, yeah I I can see a lot of myself there, awesome, that's cool. Uh, What it means is some of the way uh, Jesus engages with the Pharisees, some of the questions he asks him, uh, are good questions that he'd want to put to you uh, as well. Um, And if you're a person who this kind of description has reminded um, you of yourself, I've got some really, really, really good news for you. And it's this. Jesus wants to hang out with people like you. Uh, He he does. He goes to this guy's house for dinner. He gets an invite and he's like, yeah, I'm totally in for that. Simon, I want to come and hang out with you. He comes uh, for dinner, and that's a big thing, because in this day um, and this age, eating together wasn't just a, uh, don't really know you that well, Should we grab a macky d's on the way home? It wasn't that kind of thing. Uh, eating together signified kind of welcome, association, commitment, belonging. So he say, yeah, yeah, I wanna be with you. And actually, more than just wanting to be with you around the table for a meal, Jesus wants you to be at his table for all eternity that's his desire for you and he wants it to be about way more than it was ever about before so um so you know your bible well jesus says i want it to be so that you know your bible well and know me through it because it's all about me He saying you know you know you're in church that's great but i want you gathering with the rest of my people to be a temple where i dwell in your midst and i meet with you Yeah, you want to do right. Absolutely fantastic. I want to come and live in you by my spirit and write my law on your heart so that you're doing right as you're walking with me and following me. He wants to transform it in terms of a relationship with him. That's amazing. And in fact, the gospel uh, for you guys, the gospel uh, for you who want to live a holy life, is this, Jesus has done it for you. Jesus has lived a totally obedient life. So the bits where you try and fail, he's done it for you. The bits where you try and you succeed and then get proud about succeeding, he's done it for you and remained humble. The bits where you succeed and look down on other people because they failed, he's done it for you and loved other people with arms of grace. He has obeyed for you in a way way beyond you can ever obey for yourself. He's not just kept the rules, he's kept the heart behind the rules. In his heart he's always loved God and he says that can be yours as a gift. That's the gospel for religious people. Keep that in mind, we've now got our third character, and our third character is this woman of the city. Now, um, that's kind of a bit of a technical term when it's describing her as things like a woman of the city uh, or a sinner. Uh, It was kind of a bit of a euphemism that that was used in the day this was written uh, for probably a prostitute, certainly a very sexually promiscuous woman. And this is a woman who wasn't invited to the party. She kind of gate crashed. Like like suddenly he's like, I don't want her there, you know. Um, Because in the eyes of the religious people, she was kind of the problem. If they're like, okay, we want our whole nation to turn from sin, he would look at her, well, she she doesn't care about that. She's just a good time girl. She does whatever she wants. Um, And so her life was a life of facing scorn from religious people. That's what it was. They would tell her things like, or imply things like, everything would be fine if it wasn't for people like you. The problem with the world is you. Our nation would be better if you were dead. This is the message that she was getting from the religious people. Life for her, it must have been horrible. You know, she's in a, a life that's not fulfilling. She probably had no options for a way out of it. And yet all the role models of the day are just looking at her with scorn, looking down on her, making her feel worthless and dirty and despised. And like I said earlier, um, that some of you might identify with Simon, maybe some of you identify with the life of this woman. Maybe stuff's come into your mind that you're like, I've done stuff that I'm just ashamed of, that your life's kind of wrapped up in guilt or um, just kind of the, the filth that you feel in yourself for stuff that you've done. Maybe you know you've got a reputation and others look upon you and think bad of you. Maybe you've been used and abused and thrown on the scrap heap by person after person after person just like she has. Maybe you've been treated like your heart and your soul and your mind and your personality and your character just don't matter at all and the only thing that's of any value in you is your body. Maybe some of you have experienced the scorn of religious people. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're gay, and you've been told by religious people that the problem with the world is you. Maybe uh, you've ended up getting pregnant when you're not married, like within a church, and the people have just turned you apart and said, I don't want to know you, and I don't want to have anything to do with you. Maybe you're a teenager and you see as people walk past, they, they just look at you um, like you're worthless and like you're the problem with this country. And if you identify in any way with this woman, I've got some really, really, really good news for you. Jesus wants to hang out with you as well. You see, she came to the table. She wasn't invited by Simon to the party, but Jesus welcomed her there. You know, when many people, even followers of Jesus, say they don't want to be around your type, do you know what Jesus says? He says, I will. I'll be around you. Come here, come to me. I've got my arms open wide because I love you and I welcome you in. That's Jesus. He's so good. So some of you might be like Simon or be reminded of yourself in him. Some of you might be like this woman or reminded of yourself in her probably many of you fall somewhere in between the two but I've got great news for you wherever you are on this spectrum Jesus loves you and he wants relationship with you it's so good it's so good so there are three characters these are the uh, protagonists in our story we've got Jesus and we've got these two people very very different to each other but he loves both of them so deeply and what happens? Well, the woman comes in. Um, she sees uh, Jesus. She sees that his feet are a complete state, because he's been walking through the really dirty roads, and he's got all sweaty, and there's mud on there, and there might even be, like, animal poo on there. And <laughs> could well be. And she's like, they're dirty feet, and he's amazing. And I don't really want him to have dirty feet. So, um, you know, with her tears, she washes them. With her hair, she dries them. With this kind of flask of ointment that she's brought specially, she anoints them. And in her mind, what's going on is, he is so, so good. He is so, so good to me. He'll even accept someone like me, and all I can do for him is wash his feet. Cool. I'd, I'll do that. I'll do that because it needs to That's what's happening in her mind. In Simon's mind, what's happening is she's an immoral woman. He's a man of God. She's giving him a foot massage. That's highly inappropriate. (laughs) Not cool. In Jesus' mind, what's going on is she gets it. She understands grace. She knows how it is to be forgiven. A lot, a lot of stuff. And she knows what it is to respond with extravagant, passionate, devotion to the one who saved her and it's a beautiful thing listen be really 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 careful about looking at somebody else responding to Jesus and passing judgment on it because that's what happens here he sees her respond to Jesus and he judges it you know when you see people jumping or dancing or with their hands in the air be careful about passing judgment on that When you see people standing still and motionless, be careful in passing judgement on that. You do not know anyone's heart. Just don't pass judgement on anyone else responding to Jesus. Because he's the saviour and people respond to him in ways that are at their heart connecting with him. What's happening here is a woman making a massive, massive deal of the saviour. She's making a huge deal of Jesus. And the story that Jesus tells impacts why. He says, look, there's these two guys. One owes a lot of money. One owes a little bit of money. And they're both let off. Who's going to love the guy more? And the pastor says, well, obviously it's the guy who's been let off most. Absolutely it's the guy who's been let off most. And he says, look, you see this woman, she has been forgiven so much. Don't you see it in the way she's responding to me? She's making so much of me because she's been forgiven so much. You know her immoral life? It's all gone. All the dirt and the stains on her soul, it's all been washed clean. It's all been washed away by my grace. Listen, I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you've done. But I know that you haven't done so much to be beyond the grace of God. I know that there's nothing that you can have done There's no buildup of things that you've got in your life that make you beyond the forgiveness of Jesus. There just isn't. Nothing at all that you've done can't be forgiven by the grace of this saviour. And after being forgiven much, this woman cannot help but to be obsessed with this beautiful saviour. She can't help but to uh, adore him and to clean his feet with her hair. you've got a change going on in her. It's a change from extravagant sin, because that's what she was living in, to extravagant worship of the Saviour. So there's a change happening, but it's not a change from extravagant sin to extravagant religion. It's not um, a change from, I've been sinning loads, and now, um, yeah, okay, Jesus, peace be upon you too, kind of deal. It's a change From extravagant sin to total, heartfelt, everything about her, devotion to this wonderful saviour who has rescued her. In your life, following Jesus, there's a huge place for extravagance. It's the appropriate reaction to this saviour. Because the way you respond to something indicates how you feel about it. It does. When you love something... You go all out for it. I remember when I was at uni, um, I kind of loved the darkness. They they were the big band of the time. embarrassing secret and, I, uh, and they were coming to play the UEA uh, with, which was really cool and it was like there's only about a thousand tickets available um, I, and most of them had sold out over the summer when I was still in Sheffield but they'd saved like a hundred tickets to sell to the students on the first day of term so I got up at like six o'clock uh, and I went in and I queued for hours and then I got them and I was phoning everybody saying I got it I got it I got a ticket to the darkness and then I went out, and I bought like a white Justin Hawkins style suit and went to the gig and pushed my way to the front and the way I responded to it tells you how I felt about it <laughs> why is it that, that some of us why is it that I often show less devotion than that to my saviour what's that all about it's ridiculous you know extravagance for the saviour it won't lead you into sin But it will lead you into a place when you're too enraptured by him to care what anybody else around you thinks. Uh, Like this woman, she didn't care that it might look dodgy to this guy. She's like, he's Jesus, he's amazing, I don't care what anyone thinks of it. This extravagance for Jesus, Uh, there's not really a place for a kind of southern English politeness. You don't come to Jesus and be polite. Uh, You don't come to Jesus and be all concerned uh, for how it appears. Uh, Extravagant worship is the outcome of conversion. You've understood grace, you know this saviour, and you've just got to give everything for him and some of you right you might have this picture of yourself in like 20 years time being really extravagant towards Jesus but let me tell you if you're not making uh, that choice now to just extravagantly give him everything chances are you never will because it's grace just enrapturing your heart and makes it I don't care about anything else it's just him You know what this Pharisee should have done? When this woman's there, um, giving Jesus this uh, foot cleansing with with ointment, and um, he's there passing judgment. What he should have done is he should have just said to her, excuse me can I just borrow a little bit of that ointment because I want to rub some on his feet as well because he's amazing and then all the other guests at the table should have just stood up and formed a maybe not even formed a cube but just pushed their way to the front and grabbed some ointment and just kind of got in there as well and you know all of us one by one we should go in there as well all gathered around this feet around the feet of this amazing amazing saviour some of us um Just a challenge here maybe, Um, if we've we've been around here a while, you know there's stuff in our life that looks like extravagant devotion? When we've got our hands raised, when we're shouting out I love you Jesus, is that still coming out of a heart of extravagance to the Saviour? Or has that just become a new form of religion for us? That's just a question that I I, I want to ask you. I know for me, sometimes I can just go through the motions with it and it becomes a kind of Revelation Church style of religion for me because religion takes many, many forms. And I just want to um, ask you again to look at your heart and is that same heart of wow, he's my savior and I'll do anything for him still there and still behind it all. So, So if you're more like the woman, this is the challenge for you. Will you give your sins to this savior to be forgiven and then through that, just experience a joy and changing your life. So, so you leave your life of sin and just pour out your whole life in extravagant ways for him. Now what about the Pharisee? The Pharisee, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get grace. He thinks, well, Jesus should know who he is, so he should keep himself at arm's length from her. He's got a kind of picture of the Pharisee and Jesus over here is like God's holy club, and the woman all the way over here as like the sinful kind of society, uh, and there should be distance and barriers between them, and he misunderstands the way it is. is you've got Jesus and Jesus on his own over here as the, as the holy one, and you've got the Pharisee and the woman, and you and me, all here as sinners in need of grace. But rather than barriers and arms length, you've got the Saviour from over here coming to us and reaching out to be with us because He loves us so much. And uh, what Jesus uh, shows the Pharisee through the story that He tells is He's looking at it all wrong. She looks at this. He looks at this woman and thinks, "Well, she's worse than me." But that's not what it's about. It's we're all in need and we're all let off uh, by God's grace as we respond to him through faith. Uh, and so because we're all let off, this woman, who um, she, she was uh, a truly sinful woman, but she's become an amazing trophy of grace. Uh, and the people we might look at, I think, oh, oh they've done stuff that I never do. And, you know, the truth of it is, as God's grace saves them, is even more amazing testimony to how good our saviour is. And the application Jesus makes to this, uh, to this Pharisee, Simon, is he's saying, mate, here's the deal, you don't love me like she does. You know, the Pharisee thought that her response to Jesus was inappropriate. Jesus turns it on his head and says, Simon, it's your response to me that's inappropriate your response is utterly inappropriate. You know, you haven't uh, given me a kiss as I came in. You haven't given me any water to even wash my own feet with. You haven't anointed my head with oil. You haven't done any of the things you'd even do for a friend. You've treated me as an acquaintance. You've made this all polite. You've made this all respectable. And to receive Jesus in a kind of formal way, like you would with someone who you barely knew, is to reject him as the saviour. You need to understand this. It's possible to um, reject Jesus in a really explicit way, which says, I want nothing to do with him. And it's possible to reject Jesus in a really, really subtle way, which says, Oh, yes, Jesus, yes, I, I, I know him, we've met. Um, <laughs> uh, and to receive him in, in that kind of business like way without the obsessive devotion that says, He's the Saviour and I owe him everything. And sadly, tragically, Uh, This kind of respectable um, response to Jesus is what has often been presented as Christianity and that's what the media often present that's even what some Christians present as Christianity and if you're here and you're not a Christian let me tell you this if that's what Christianity was I wouldn't want to be one either because it would be rubbish uh, but it's not about that. it's about Jesus has saved me by his grace he has saved me and he's put his spirit in me and I live a new life and he's amazing and I gladly give him everything in my life That's what being a Christian is. So so if it was Simon who reminded you more of yourself, the challenge for you is do you grasp that you need a savior as much as this woman does? Because you do need a savior. You need to be saved from your sin and you need to be saved from your righteousness because by your righteousness, you think you're okay with God. And it, it kind of deludes you into thinking um, that you can be your own saviour you can't save yourself your goodness isn't pleasing to God when you use your goodness to put a barrier between yourself and Jesus the saviour the woman wanted to be her own boss but now she has found the true Lord Simon the Pharisee he wanted to be his own saviour but the question's left hanging will he trust in the true saviour and the question's left hanging with him and I believe the reason it's left hanging with him is to put the question onto you. Will you trust Jesus as the true saviour? He can and he will forgive even your sins he is willing you know the question around the table that's asked who is this that can even forgive sins and the answer is it's jesus it's the savior it's the lord it's the son of god it's the lover of your soul he loves you so much he went to the cross for you he loves you so much he took your sin on himself he had nails pierced through his wrists and through his ankles he bled he suffocated to death as he was dying he was rejected by his friends and he was rejected by his father as the anger and wrath of heaven that's due to our sins as a judgment was poured out on him. That's how much this saviour loves you. And it's because of that that he could say to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He's saying you've trusted in me. You've leaned on me. You've relied on me. That's your faith. You haven't tried to save yourself. You've looked to me as your saviour. And because of that, you can go in peace. Peace with God. Peace with yourself. Peace with brothers and sisters around you. This is the gospel, folks. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? If you walked in here as a good girl, as a nice bloke, are you going to look on Jesus as your saviour today and every day? Are you going to never outgrow the need for him? um, and Never try and do it yourself. uh, But just say, he's my saviour. And if you walked in here filled with shame and condemnation, are you going to accept the totally lavish grace that he pours out? is your heart going to be filled with the joy that comes from knowing you are forgiven and this wonderful uh, saviour of the world has died for you and then pour your whole life out in response to him. Jesus welcomes you in today. If only you'll accept it. It's amazing it's amazing so what we're going to do uh, we're going to respond we're going to be extravagant in whatever way that looks like for you from your heart to Jesus the band are going to help us with some songs Uh, we've got the bread and the wine here Jesus is inviting us to his table but to come to Jesus's table means to come and take him as a savior and to be extravagant if you're not ready to do that don't come If you've done it before, do it again today. Come, take the bread, take the wine, say, Jesus, I'm at your table, I love you. If you've never done it before and you want to do it today, come, take it, chat with someone, say, I want my whole life to be extravagant for him because I know he saved me and I accept his forgiveness. You know, if you've got beef with someone else here, don't bring it to the Saviour's table. You know, it's not the place for it. Sort it out, give them a call, have a chat, and then come to his table. Get on your knees before him. and love him, guys, yeah? Amen.